Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. So glad you could join me. Ho, ho, ho. Still in the spirit around here. How about you? You know, this season has its ups and its downs, but I think we're on the downhill side. So it's all about cleaning up and uh, bracing for New Year's Eve. Oh, and shoveling snow. <laughs> I hope not where you are, but that's my goal is to get the heck out of it real soon. I'll keep you posted on whether I pull it off or not. Hey, great show in store for you. Andy McCormick joins me from Pointer Shotguns and Legacy Sports, the uh, incredible firearm uh, importer, uh, supplier, and, of course, sponsor of the show. We are going to talk a little bit about guns, but mainly about the incredible quail and chucker season he has had. We'll trade a few notes on that. He's got some fascinating insights and some very helpful tips and uh, suggestions for you. We'll carry on our new uh, dog training and handling feature. You asked for it. You got it. It's called Handle It for a Reason. Then we're going to take a look at your season so far, how it's going, and particularly some of the highlights. Maybe I'll share a low light or two. (laughs) It's all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Chokes, and my own authority website, findbirdhuntingspots.com. Yeah, winter is here. It's been here way too long. You know, uh, we had our first snow uh, in late October, and then one bit or another of it has stuck around or been replenished since. So it's been... It's been tough for a, a lot of reasons. Still getting out, still finding some bare ground on some of the south-facing slopes. But, you know, we're crunching around in it like so many other people are. I'm not complaining. I'm just making an observation. Okay, maybe I am complaining. But the joy of it is it concentrates the birds. And here's what I'm seeing. Flick is, you know, he's five years old. And we joke about it. But for wire hairs, they mature slowly. But, of course, if you have a setter, you could probably say the same. Or if you have a poodle, they all mature slowly. How slowly is a big question. Around here, very. But the light bulb went off over Flick's head sometime in the last month or so. He has, uh, you know, he has a propensity for working backwards, you know, trying to hunt all the spots behind us as well as in front of us. And I don't mind that most of the time. He'll never, he'll never win a field trial. Okay. I, I admit that, but he's been working to the front a lot more now and a little bit closer. Now, I don't mind a big running dog, especially in chucker country or sage, uh, you know, uh, sharp tail country, but in in the stuff that we hunt most of the time you you want to know where he is and you want to be able to get there especially if it's uphill so 100 to 150 yards is ideal and he's doing way more of that i don't know if he's just uh, maturing becoming smarter or uh just trying to be more cooperative i like that to like to think that's part of it for for a bunch of reasons but i've been extremely positive on the training side of things these days and we're training every day we're lucky enough to have wild birds right behind the place, too, to do that on. But more positive training, a little bit lighter on the e-collar. I'm able to adjust it to the point where it's just a little reminder now, and he doesn't even you know, hardly flinch when I use it. And those are things that you might want to consider as well. Uh, some of you don't need any help. David Gilbertson could uh, probably stand a little. Both the dog and I went up the hill, he says, down the hill, up the hill, down the Devil Bird's talking to us, saying, come and get us. Both hunter and dog had no injuries, and they loved the chase. Yeah, David, I know, and thank you again. By the way, I just mentioned you in a story to somebody else. Um, Eric Copang says, a dog new to me brought up on pheasants in Colorado is figuring out the game of Texas wild quail. Speaking of light bulbs, that one went on today for him. Highlight for Craig Hobicky, hunting sharpies and pheasants in South Dakota. Just my dog and I. Yeah, sometimes that is the best company. Walter Edward Jordan says, seeing my 12-year-old GSP pointing and retrieving. 
better than the young English pointers. <laughs> yeah. And this is, don't you love when this happens? Arlen, Der, I know it's Dutch. I'll try it, Arlen, I will. Arlen Debreikery. My dog chasing a winged pheasant more than three quarters of a mile through tree lines, plowed fields, across the road, back across the road, and then finally pinning him. That must have been a little bit of a nail biter for a while in there. And then, of course, fellowship is one of the reasons we go, so we'll end with this one. Christopher R. Brennan says he got a pheasant hunt in South Dakota with his brother, spent a week with his brother. Now, that may be a little bit long for my brother, but uh, they're doing what me and my buddy Dave are doing. He's on the East Coast. He's on the West Coast. They meet halfway. We don't have to fly. We can drive. It's that close. But meeting halfway kind of adds some magic to all of that, doesn't it, Christopher? Hey, love your comments. You are really coming to the fore on that stuff, and I sure appreciate it. Uh, we'll share more of your comments from our social media. Every week, we're going to do something like that right here at the Upland Nation podcast. And it's all made possible in part by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. You know, they're an authorized dealer for Beretta, Blaser, Browning, Cesar Guarini, Kriegoff, Rizzini, Fab Arm, Fair, and Siren. Yeah, that's the line of shotguns specifically for women shooters. And many of those guns are for sale, are also available to rent so you can try before you buy. Kind of a road test. So if you're looking for a shotgun, yeah, aren't we all after that last bird hunt? Go to midvalleyclays.com, click on shotguns on the tabs, then scroll down and you'll find a place to click on online store shop around see what they got and if there's nothing there that you're looking for call directly midvalleyclays.com call them there and they'll see what they can do to find something that may be a little bit harder to locate midvalleyclays.com for your shotgun needs it's all right there midvalleyclays.com and true lock chalk who true lock chokes.com i'm I got trailers on my mind, chocks, you know, trailer wheel chocks. Anyway, truelockchokes.com. You know, where, where, they're one of the companies that does what, what, hey, what everybody used to do in, in this way, old school rules, lifetime warranty, a satisfaction guarantee. All True Lock Chokes carry a lifetime warranty. Yeah, lifetime. If their chokes fail for any reason, return them. They will re be replaced at no charge. Now, I might just add to all that, if you've got a question of some sort about chokes, uh, style of shooting, that sort of thing, they got experts on staff who will be glad to help you with that, especially if you're doing something maybe a little different, if you're going for your first sharptail hunt or you're chasing ptarmigan in Colorado or something. TrueLockChokes.com is where you ought to start if you want to improve your shooting. Oh, back with us for the second time, and I'm so glad because we're going to talk about we're going to be talking about all sorts of fun stuff. Andy McCormick, he's the senior executive vice president of marketing and sales for Legacy Sports International. <sighs> Need a breath after that. But you know him as the guy who brings us pointer shotguns and uh, some very exciting things in that world to talk about. But, you know, the last time we were talking about stuff like that, uh, uh, we got to talking about bird hunting. And this guy is a fanatic. Let me just put it that way. Andy McCormick, welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Oh, hi, Scott. My pleasure. Love uh, talking about bird hunting because it is a passion of mine. And like you said, a lot of people, I think, uh, perceive that a big game is my uh, passion. And I love to do both. But it seems like the older I've got and the less time I've got, I tend to hunt, you know, local where I can. And, uh, and I'm fortunate enough living here in Nevada that there's some pretty good bird hunting available to us here in the state. So it's been, uh, it's been fun. And then, you know, like me, uh, 
having a dog and all that stuff, you're out for the dog, but at the same time you like to shoot, you know, and get into birds and it's very rewarding on both ends. So, so yeah, it's a passion of mine. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned something that reminded me of a, a, a good buddy, the guy I hunt with quite often who back when we were just fishing together and I was trying to convert him to a fly fisherman, uh, and I was catching nothing but uh, but railing on how enjoyable it was, and no matter what. And he said, Scott, at some point, you got to catch a fish. And <laughs> and so, yes, we can walk around all day with a shotgun and call it a hike, but at some point, don't you want to pull the trigger? Absolutely. So, well, you... I think the dog expects to hear the gun go. <laughs> I, do, I, I remember telling a, a shooting instructor once, the reason I want to shoot better is so the dog isn't mad at me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. well, you know, we haven't had the pleasure of hunting together with your dog, but, uh, you know, w when they're both out in the field, yours and mine look quite a bit similar. Tell me about your, your dog these days. Well, you know, I've, uh, I have a griffin wire hair currently and he's four and a half and he acts like he's two yeah. and it's just fired up all the time and he, but he's such a clown around the house the personality on the dog is phenomenal and that's why he's my second one the last one i had was pretty much the same uh the same personality traits uh very go get it in the field very serious in the field uh but when he's around the house he's like a clown he's like a kid and he yeah. swears he's gonna speak any moment you know and it's uh yeah, he keeps me entertained, but he's a he's a uh, a high intense dog when it comes to hunting, and he, I think he speaks quail. I think he, <laughs> I, I think he understands them completely. Either seeing them, hearing them, he is in tune from the minute we pull into the canyon or even the exit to where we go hunting. He knows what's going on, and he's just full on ready to go. It's. It's it's fun, and I wish I had that much energy. But uh, you know, following those dogs around and watching them, learning their mannerisms, um, it's pretty it's pretty intense. Sometimes you know, especially if you wound a bird and seeing the dog go into full full on crazy dead bird mode is different than the normal hunt mode. It, it's interesting to watch. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, a notch of focus that goes goes into gear with these dogs when you say dead bird and how the search shrinks to a certain area if you point and say dead bird it's boom nose to the ground hoover and looking hard for any kind of movement or sign and and he usually finds exactly what he's looking for and he will not give up i'll, so, I'll never forget we were um, about halfway between my house and your house and uh, dropped a uh, valley quail. And, and when we say quail on this podcast today, we're talking valley quail um, yep. because that's what we got out here in the West in the, you know, what I'll loosely describe as the Great Basin. But but uh, uh, my buddy had dropped a quail and it had kind of ran from the bush. It, it wing, wing clipped it, ran from the bush to a pile of boulders. And, and these boulders were, you know, the size of tabletops. Uh, and we tried our best. We couldn't. We couldn't get in there. We sent the dogs. They couldn't get in there. I went back, stuck my hand into the little uh, crevice, uh, pulled it out immediately. When my friend reminded me we were in rattlesnake country, um, right. didn't stop the dog though. Flick finally figured out. Well, here's a place where it's rock on three sides, but there's dirt on one side, and he started digging. And he dug, and pretty soon all I could see was this little white tail tip, and that's all. He was that deep into that hole. Wow. And then you hear that this is sometimes, can you relate? This is sometimes the best sound you'll hear all day. <laughs> <laughs> because that means I just got a mouthful of feathers. I've got yeah. this thing. And then you, you then they put it in reverse, and then beep, 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 and out they come. And sure enough, there's a bird in his mouth. Uh huh. I let him yeah. take. I let him take a victory lap. Yeah, they like to parade around with their prize yeah. when they have. Yeah. You know, just last weekend, uh, I for the first time I saw a mannerism in in barley is my dog's name, and I had winged a, I had winged a, a mature valley quail that came screaming at me that 
out of a cubby he busted and uh, I, I clipped it as it went past me. It was almost too close to shoot. I had to let it get past me, shoot it. It goes down and I noticed when it hit the ground, it was still running and it went straight into this huge, tall, four foot high sage brush bank and it didn't come out. And so I called the dog over and I dead bird and he goes to town and he's no small dog. He's a yeah. 75, he's a 75 pound Griffin that is lean and mean. But when he gets in there, he, he can't help but make noise, tearing things up, looking for stuff. And so I'm standing above from a high vantage point to be able to see either the bird's going to flush back out or it's going to run out the other end and nothing ever happens. And he just refuses to give up. So, and I'm only about, 50 yards from the truck and I start walking towards the truck to get a water bowl out and calling back. And all of a sudden I look around and here comes the dog. I had given up, but he didn't. Yeah. And, and he's coming to me and I can see him parading this, this big mature male Valley quail in his mouth softly back to me. And then he usually will bring it right to hand. I'll drop to knee and then he'll bring it right to me. Yeah. I didn't drop the knee and he got about, I don't know, five, six feet away from me. And he literally threw it at, me. <laughs> I mean, felt, you know, took his head and threw it at me like a little better shooty dad. Come on. You know, <laughs> like you, you know, sometimes you're grateful. They do not know how to operate an e-collar. <laughs> yeah. You would have got a little t- touch there. <laughs> there. There was definitely some attitude in the way. He retrieved that it. it was pretty funny to watch, but you know, God love him because I think one of the there's a lot of gratifying things, you know, in working with a dog and watching a dog. And even when my brother in law was up here for Thanksgiving, he decided he wanted to come out, you know, to see the because he loves the dog. Yeah. The, but he wanted to see what he did in the field. And he said, "Well, come on along." I said, "You know, you can you can drive the truck, drop me off. I'll come down canyons and work two years, something like that. You know." And, you'll get to see some stuff. And he was so impressed. And I said, well, here's what you got. Here's what will help you realize some of the things that are going on is watch the dog when he's working in the field. And if he stops abruptly and turns, it's for a reason. I said, that means he's got scent of something. And then, you know, the slow cheetah crawl. And then then, the tail going a hundred miles an hour and then stopping. I said, it all means something. And for you to go into action, I said, and when he gets into the birds, it's fun to watch and see. And I said, and then the dead bird stuff and the whistle commands and all that. He, he was like, he had no idea. He goes, I did not understand. There's so much to this. He said, this is fun to watch. I said, yeah, it's even funner when you're participating. (laughs) And he got to eat some quail too. You know, we were eating quail, you know, a couple nights for dinner after Thanksgiving. And he was like, man, this is good stuff. So I, I think I've got him almost convinced to be quail hunting next time he's up in Reno. So. Yeah, he he'll be calling for uh, for the brother and the brother discount on a shotgun real soon. <laughs> yeah. So so I think I, that's the that's the part that I really love is watching uh, the dogs and understanding the dog and then the gratifications you know of of a fun time in the field and then. Uh, finding birds finding birds is the big thing you know and i tell debbie my gal all the time i said it's all about just getting him into the birds yeah and keeping him focused you know on the predator prey uh to the point where he's hunting for you because he's always checking back and looking to see where i'm at um but that's why i have the whistle too you know a lot of yeah. people don't use the whistle i like the whistle because i was a labrador guy for a long time with waterfowl and it just seems natural for the hear heel stuff or even just to stop a dog or turn a dog if you need to. Uh, it really is uh, very, very beneficial. Oh, I yeah. think a lot, I think there's people should train their dogs, their house dogs with a whistle placed on quite honestly for when they lose them or something, they can find them, you know? Oh. Um, <laughs> I, uh, no, I agree a hundred percent. There's a lot of value in all of that stuff. You know, the other thing that I've started doing the last couple of years, I use the tone, the, not the beeper, but the tone on my electric collar. Because there are times, and you know this too, when we want to be a little bit more stealthy. And if you're yelling at your dog, bad. If you're blowing a whistle at a dog, almost as bad. But that little tone uh, doesn't give the birds a heads up quite as often. Now, if if the dog's right on those birds, I'm not sure. I haven't experimented enough with that. But... But I like that tone. And, you know, the other thing that you, you bring up is is the intensity of that dog. Uh, 
where do you think that came from in in your Griffon? I, I, well, I, as far as hereditary stuff, mm-hmm. all the way back to Europe, you know, they yeah. hunted everything with a Griffon. Yeah, they they used they were a utility dog. They were used for deer. They were used for rabbit. They were used for birds. I mean, follow up on game. You know, even like the draft hours were yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Thing and then I actually uh, hunted with a poodle uh, pointer last weekend on sunday uh goose hunting the guy had a poodle pointer oh yeah yeah goose dog. it was pretty interesting to watch and uh so yeah i'm not sure where that intensity comes from where the switch flips like it yeah. does on these griffins compared to my labs it, they were always you know i don't know they they were always very intuitive about you know watching the barrel of your gun when huh. it's bird and blind you know they were very in tune with watching birds in the air, a good waterfowl dog, and being on your heels, you know, steady in the blind. And they would hunt quail. And my chocolate lab actually liked hunting quail, but you knew when his head squared up and he kind of erected and the ears got square and the head got square, he was on, he was on a bird. Yeah. So little things, but it was nowhere as intense as it is in these griffins that I've been hunting with the last couple of years in the field. Yeah. How about that? Uh, yeah. I meant to, I meant to ask you about that goose hunt because I knew it was a versatile dog that you were with. And as an old lab guy from way back, as a lab guy from way back, you're not old. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you're in a unique position to kind of, you know, compare one versus the other. Um, we all kind of envision a Labrador in a, in a, in a goose blind. And, and, you know, that if we don't, we, we know somebody who can describe it to us, but how'd that poodle pointer do? Was he lab like? No, he was, uh, he was a lot more fidgety. Yeah. He would, you know, a lab will lay down and stay at heel pretty much, you know, in a blind, they're pretty, a, a good trained one. And, uh, the poodle pointer, you could tell had a logic, a lot of fidgetiness in him but he was alert he was looking all around he was front of the blind back of the blind and it was a it was a pretty good sized pit blind so he had a back door the dog could look out lay down and look out um and he heard he would pay attention to hearing the geese in the valley uh coming and going that kind of stuff so and he re, he retrieved uh, the one goose we did get he retrieved it mm-hmm. i mean so um he was pretty he was pretty intense as as a waterfowl dog well, that's good to hear. You know, everybody talks about it. I'm, I'm not a duck hunter or a goose hunter. Water, but... He loved the water. He yeah. He was in and out of the water like it was nothing. Yeah. Well, luckily, they got that double coat. So does your dog. So does my dog. But uh, that will help a little bit. They'll never be a Chesapeake Bay retriever. But I'm right. glad I'm glad you had a good time. Um, it, you know, how, why'd you pick Poodle? Uh, no, why'd you pick a Griffon first time around? Well, it, the first time around, it was kind of by default oh. because I I had hunted with the, this particular griffin at a hunt club in Pennsylvania, where I'm originally from, and he was an exceptional club dog out at this kennel we were at, and it was in uh, out in uh, South Central Pennsylvania at a place uh, Warrington Kennels, and a good bird hunting clay shooting facility and. Uh, I was back there on some business and got together with some friends to go on a hunt in the afternoon and had a great time and hunted with that dog. And I said, man, I've never hunted with one of those Griffins. I said, it's, it's a pretty cool dog to hunt with. And it was just very friendly and, but intense in the field. Yeah. And then the guy who owned the facility called me one day out of the blue and said, Hey, I know you'd like that dog. Would, would you know anybody be willing to, take the dog on i said what do you mean and the owners were moving to guatemala and thought they could take the dog with them and they couldn't and so they had to find a home for it but he knew that he didn't want to just get it to anyone because they're a very high energy dog they have separation disorders you got you got to really run them and you know pay attention to them you can't just leave them alone at home and all that kind of stuff they'll tear your house apart and uh he said, I know you hunt a lot. You'd be perfect for this dog. And I, and at the time, I still had my chocolate lab, and we were moving from Virginia, where we started Legacy Sports, uh, to Reno, Nevada. And I had a friend at the time who was going through a hard time in life, and, I, and he had stopped hunting and shooting and fishing. 
And I thought, you know, maybe if he got back into it and getting more grounded and back on track. So I, I was going to give him the dog and it turned out that didn't work out. So I had to go back to Virginia, pick up my suburban. It was still in the warehouse at, at legacy sports. Like, <laughs> And I said, well, I guess I'm taking a Griffin with me. So I went up to and picked the dog up at the kennel in Pennsylvania and drove cross country with him in the front seat. And we bonded across the country. It was actually pretty cool. And uh, that's how I ended up uh, getting that Griffon. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me, having such a wonderful dog. Uh, he was barely two, maybe, when I got him. Yeah. He was uh, he was at a good at a good time, and then when he passed, he lived a good long life. And when he passed, uh, I knew I was going to get another Griffin. And sure enough, I got the one I have. I got him up out of Idaho, uh, out of Outback uh, Outfitters up there, out of uh, Burley, Idaho. I think it was. Mm-hmm. I was on a long waiting list, and finally got went up and got the dog, and had him since he was about you know eight weeks, seven eight weeks, and he's been a great dog, phenomenal dog. Can't say enough about him. To tell you the truth. Well, I, how, how about your... never before? You never used to see a whole lot of them, except back on the East Coast. Yeah, now, now they're everywhere. Well, they they become <clears throat> well, <clears throat> they were for a while. Now it's poodle pointers, but there it goes in waves. When I first got into the game, it was all wire hairs, and for you know, interesting phenomenon up here in uh, Central Oregon for a while, all the wire hairs were were owned by and and evangelized by retired bay area firefighters go figure but <laughs> but it made me a believer and and they were all good to me i appreciated all their help over the years lots of great mentors there but then it was griffons or maybe it was poodle pointers now it's griffons whatever it is it, it's it's funny how that works and i'm you know just glad for it because the versatile dogs of course we were big believers um do you do anything in the way of training uh have you done the training yourself or have you had help or we all have help but i mean formal help no no none whatsoever you know i've been working with dogs myself you know like i said from the waterfowl lab side yeah training Ear, heel, and the big thing is obedience with any hunting dog. I think if you if you have a, a, a dog that is, comes from a good bloodline and the DNA is there, a lot of it's already there. You just need to hone in on the discipline of the dog and the obedience of here, heel. Obviously, is like number one, and after that, it's all about just getting them into birds, especially. Yeah, to yeah, yeah I, I'm still learning every day that. Um bird contact i got a call from a, a former training partner way back and he he's got a new hey he's got a new griffon and he's about the same size as barley now that i think about it really but he's only like a year old <laughs> but um I, you know the first thing i told him was uh you're you're not getting him into enough birds to to make anything a habit right you're lucky enough down there uh, to to find birds close to home, so you can you could almost do it on an afternoon after work, you know, a certain time of yep. year, um, yep. which you know someday I will um, I will be even more jealous of than now. But tell tell me about one of your most recent hunts that was just fascinating in one way or another. You know I get the pictures and I appreciate that, except when I haven't been hunting for a few days. But uh, <laughs> well, what, what's new in the hunting world? Well, you know, we've actually been lucky here in uh, the real area and in the state in known haunts where you find a lot of uh, chucker regularly is where you find uh, a lot of guys don't focus on quail hunting. Yeah. And to them, it's chucker is the, you know, the nirvana of bird hunting in the state of Nevada. It's kind of like whitetail deer hunting in Pennsylvania. Opening day is a big deal and a big ritual, but this year was kind of odd. I don't know there was weren't that many people out in the field I, I don't know if it was gas prices people didn't want to spend the money you know roaming around big open country looking you know from mountain to mountain and guzzler to guzzler or water uh, sources uh, day in and day out maybe it was a little hot for them uh, opener wise I don't know but it was just weird that there wasn't a lot of people out with quads and side-by-sides that you, like you usually see chasing chuckers with dog boxes and everything I was one of the lone people in a very, very popular area out uh, between Lovelock and Winnemucca. And 
I didn't, I saw one other guy hunting a side-by-side with his eight-year-old kid, which was great to see, but you know, they weren't too serious about it. Like I was normally used to in several canyons where there was just people on every ridge pushing yeah. bird yeah. back and back and forth. But, uh, and the, and the populations were good. We, I saw a lot of chucker. I did very well the opening weekend, hunted Saturday, Sunday, uh, and my buddies I hunted with, they hunted in a different range, uh, to the, to the West and they limited out for nine days straight, wow. nine days straight. And so I was jealous. They were still out there. And then I came home and instead of going back out there, I only had limited time and here I'm hunting 15, 20 minutes from the house. What, how lucky is that? And I'm getting into three to four cubbies, sometimes five, six cubbies of quail that are strong, 25 to 50 birds in a cubby. Yeah. I mean, you know me. Yeah, I. All it takes to make me happy is one good cubby. You can get in there and crack them like nine ball and go after them, you know, and split them up. And then valley quail, they love to run like you know. But once you split them up and there's no safety in the numbers and no sentinel that's dragging them all over the freaking place on the ground, they split up and then they sit tight and they start talking. And that's when you get the quail call out and back and forth and reassure where you think they're at and then boom – turn turbo lose the griffin and it's over <laughs> yeah well you, you know you mentioned the calls and i, I want to talk a little bit about that before the break and, and and that'll be coming up in just a moment but you you and i both have quail calls and they're they're almost a similar des- design from from people we know um yeah. how are you are you using that only after you break up a covey or do you park at the bottom of a draw get out and blow it first thing a lot of times what I do is I pull into the canyon with the dog and the window's down in the back and he's not in a dog box. He's in the back of the truck and he's going back and forth to the windows and he knows what's going on. And I'll pull up and I, I will turn the truck off and I'll listen. Yeah. Well, I'll look for quail and I, you know, and I'll spend, you know, you know, five, 10 minutes just listening. And if I hear him, then I'm going, okay, they're here. Great. Now I know what's going on. And knowing that I've busted up some cubbies and how many birds are with those cubbies. I know all I need to do is either hear or see one bird. I know they're there. And I think that positive attitude, knowing they're there, lets allows you to say, okay, next is get the dog ready, get the gun ready, get the vest ready, the water, the shells, blah, 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 lock the truck. And here we go. We're heading over here. We heard him over here. But if I don't hear anything before I leave, I will spend 10 minutes calling to try and get a response. Yeah. You know, throughout that area. And a lot of times it's 50 50. You'll hear something or not. But most of the time they're calling usually when they get busted up. Yes. trying, Trying to all get back together. And it's like turkey hunting in the fall. You bust them up and then try and call them back because they don't come to the call. Normally they'll come to a kiki call turkeys in the fall not but they're totally different than spring hunting turkeys so i like calling i like the interaction because i'm such an avid turkey hunter or you know it's just like coyote hunting i like all of that interaction if you can make it happen i'm not saying you're going to call quail in marching like the pied piper to you but it's giving up their position and knowing where they're at that kind of thing same with chucker i know I, absolutely. Although it is fun, about one out of a hundred times, you will get a quail running towards you. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun parlor trick. You just the odds are against you. <laughs> yeah. We we got a lot more to talk about here at the Upland Nation podcast. That's Andy McCormick with uh, Pointer Shotguns. I'm Scott Linden, your host. We are. Um, we'll talk more quail and chucker hunting. We'll talk uh, new uh, products from Legacy Sports, Andy's uh, parent company. And, of course, we have that new Handle It dog training segment. It's all coming up right here on the Upland Nation podcast. Andy, you get a moment uh, to catch your breath. We'll be right back after this commercial message. From sageandbreaker.com. Now, I've talked about that uh, recent uh, Christmas sale on the gun cleaning combo. What a great set of well, I don't know what to call it, tools, expendables, you know, all that stuff, plus that incredible 
gun cleaning mat that you will hand down for generations. If you don't want to miss out on the next big sale, then sign up for the mailing list at sageandbreaker.com. Uh, you'll get advance notice on the recent sale, on the upcoming sales, uh, and you'll also be the first to hear about the new products, including, hey, stand by. I can't wait to get mine. A new uh, range bag coming along. And if you know their stuff, you know this is going to be another one. You'll hand it down, and he'll hand it down, and she'll hand it down, all of the above. So uh, make a note of Sage and Breaker. Dot com. Watch some of the videos, learn something there, and then get on the mailing list. And we are back with Andy McCormick of, uh, okay, so the parent company, Legacy Sports International, one of the sh- one of the gun firearms brands is Pointer Shotguns. Andy, let's talk a little bit about that before we get back to the birds. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Legacy Sports, what you guys do, and then what's coming down the pike for shotgunners. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, uh, as as a whole, Legacy Sports is an importer, exporter, and light manufacturing company, and we bring uh, a variety of popular brands. Rifles are one of our uh, big uh, brands that we care deal in, and then there's uh, Citadel uh, shotguns, handguns, 1911s, nine uh, millimeters, and then we do pointer shotguns as well, both in semi-autos, pumps, and also in uh, new side-by-side series we're bringing out this year uh, in the pointer line. That's uh, already getting a lot of attention with a lot of our accounts. Uh, so we're looking forward to that, and that'll be in 12 and 20 gauges to start, and then we're chasing sub gauges as well. Uh, just a nice walnut, you know, blue uh, side by side with a, a bead in the front, and it's just like a gloss finish, 28 inch barrels choked. Uh, just a nice, nice uh, solid shotgun in the in the side by side market. It's not a it's not a super high end side by side. It's a it's a field gun. Yeah, you know? and it's. Uh, it should be fun, and I've got uh, some of them slated to come your way so you can do some testing on I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to it. i, I got to admit, there's no 12-step program for side-by-side guys, but that's okay. I don't mind not at all. Um, I'm, uh, I, I, I love uh, field guns in particular. I'm not a gun snob. In fact, I hardly even know what a chopper lump is. Uh, maybe I don't now that I think about it, but... But I, I love the idea of a gun that is actually a tool, and uh, and we right. use it that way. Um, I joke about it, but it's true. I want to own guns that uh, I can fall off a cliff and not feel bad about when they land under me. So um, that's good to hear. I can't wait to see them very soon, I'm sure. So that's cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, chucker hunting because it's, it seems to have such a mystique with so many people. Um, what are some of your tactics and strategies? Uh, how do you start? What do you look for? And um, how do you get into birds so much more often than me? Well, the trick is, A, good populations of birds, yeah. knowing where the, hunt, where the birds are at. Uh, it's the same model I use again for turkey hunting. If there's no turkeys there, you're, you're wasting your time. Yeah. But you need you need numbers of birds to be able to chase, and then it's all about water source, and then where's the roost? Where are they roosting? And I like to be able to get to them and before they get to water. A lot of guys like to just wait at water. Um, or go to water later in the day hoping that they can get between them and wherever they're headed back to a roost. Yeah. I like to get to them early up high, uh, nine times out of 10, you catch them coming out of rock crops or areas they like to roost and intercept them. And if you can intercept them, just like these quail, these Valley quail we're talking about, and you can get them busted up, there's a good chance you can chase down those singles and doubles uh, or uh, triples down into other draws where you watch them go and they will try to reconnect with their buddies. Otherwise, when they're running together in a band, 
they will drive you crazy because you'll think you haven't and then they just pick up and sail all of them together across the canyon down the canyon up the canyon uh a long way after you think you're on them uh so i think i think the best thing first of all is to try and bust them up if you can yeah yeah you know absolutely working your dog close enough that you know with birds that you know there's early season birds and then there's late season birds there's young birds and then there's mature birds you know and and those are all different scenarios too you know early in the season you don't you don't usually have to go as deep into the into the ridge lines to get them as much as right out of the gate early season you can get some some birds that'll hold up close and then once the guns start going off after the first week or so then they start getting educated and keep following those larger mature birds further back it seems to me two three ridges deep instead of first ridge you know on those yeah. water areas is what happens so but again i'm a big big fan of pulling up shutting the truck off and listening and they have oh okay there's some there there's some over there and then you make a plan of attack based on the you know the landscape if you can get up above them and hunt down and use the dog to your advantage the wind where do you think they're going to fly if they do get up and the cover in those little draws it seems like i have a lot of success this year getting into little draw pocket draws yeah that have cover that have cover not big canyon draws as much but um little pockets that are hidden little areas that they kind of like to run to that maybe other people aren't aware of no uh, i i can't agree more I've, I've been a believer in that i'm i'm envisioning one spot that i've described to you in the past but in detail it was a a hike up a little draw that became a basically a rock walled uh amphitheater only right. about 50 feet across and there was there was one covey just in there just uh grazing away because they didn't think anybody knew about it and right. and most of the time uh there's some weather advantages we were hunting last week in a pretty vicious wind and uh so all of those low spots or those sheltered spots whether it's sheltered by terrain or by vegetation chuckers seem to be very sensitive to wind would you agree yeah uh, they'll they'll definitely use the landscape to their advantage to get out of the wind be it a uh, a low rock face that drops off the side of the ridge somewhere or any kind of sagebrush cover in a pocket somewhere or any other kind of uh, thick cover that leads to uh, a water source, they'll hide up in that stuff and, and try and stay out of the wind, definitely. I, you mentioned going up and going down. We all know that we chase them up, and the dogs, even they even outrun the dogs when they're going uphill. And then they'll fly down, and we were, we, were, we fell for it again in one spot a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and we, were, we finally decided, well, if we're going to get any birds out of this area, we're going to have to walk all the way up there. But there's a sheer rock wall near the top. They'll stop there because we've had that experience. We get all yeah. the way to the top. By the time we get to the top, there's only one bird calling because he's calling to all of his friends who had already gone all the way down around us and all the way up the other side. So (laughs) we fell for it because why not? And we walked up the other side and we never did find those birds, but you know what we found? You've seen pictures from Arches National Park. Yeah. We found an arch like that. And the only reason we found it is because we were chasing chuckers in the back of beyond. That was the magic on that trip. In fact, I got some great photos. Oh, I sent you a couple of those photos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The light was right. It looks like a magazine picture. So, uh, you know, there's always something uh, when you don't kill birds. (laughs) How about feed? Have you noticed a relationship to... um, what chuckers are eating and when and it's a trick question but we'll riff on that for a moment yeah it seems like you know what cheatgrass um on benches below the rocks and above above the water are the areas i tend to find them uh, feeding along yeah that's that's basically where i see them usually here's here's my problem um once we get a couple rains of course uh it, there's still there's cheatgrass seeds on the ground or still stuck on the stems virtually all year i i you know i 
been experimenting and observing that for years now. So they can always eat those seeds, even burnt seeds. I, uh, you know, I, I found toasted cheatgrass seeds in one bird once. But um, the other thing that we talk a lot about, and I'm at a disadvantage, is uh, is uh, the green shoots. We call it green up here in the right. West. And it's it's those seeds that have basically sprouted. And, uh, you know, after a few rains in the fall, they're com- the little shoots are coming up. And the, a lot of birds will eat those little shoots. But if you're colorblind, you can look at a slope. I mean, in up close and personal, because the slope is right in your face on a lot of these climbs. And I can't tell the green stuff. So I got to take huh. somebody else's word for it. <laughs> makes sense but you know i i'm not really paying a whole lot of attention to what they're feeding on i i usually rely on the water especially when it's hot i think you've got an advantage to hunt in the heat but of course it has its problems you know worried about your dog uh, hunting in the heat and all that kind of stuff but heat sure does make those things come to water i mean yeah very uh regular so that you can actually you know get a time and a pattern kind of worked out but when that changes and the weather comes be it the snow the rain etc then things kind of change uh you know how things how things got to play out oh oh, yeah absolutely because all of a sudden there's moisture everywhere so the birds aren't dependent on a guzzler or a stream or a stock tank or something like that they can be anywhere i mean i've taken pictures of these you know the lava rock has a little basin it may hold three cups of water but that's enough water for one covey for three or four days that's right so they don't have to go all the way down or anything like that um and you know you gotta you gotta hand it to them the nevada chucker foundation uh they are one of the leaders in this regard they are building and maintaining hundreds and hundreds of guzzlers in country that that probably wouldn't support a horny toad lizard or whatever they're called otherwise. <laughs> but because of that, there's big horns and there's muleys and there's chuckers and quail in there, aren't there? Yeah, you know, they're, they're all around that. And, you know, opening day, I went to a remote guzzler that no one was near. And I got out and was listening and looking for tracks. And I found tracks. I didn't get into birds the first place I went to. They they weren't there yet. I didn't figure out the right timing for them. Sometimes you get there too early. Yeah. You know? And uh, instead of being there daylight, you really could be there, you know, eight or nine o'clock instead of, you know, 6 a.m. or something like that. And uh, I've learned that lesson uh, this last year. And I'd like just finding fresh tracks, yeah. for ch- you know, and say, oh, it's reassuring. And again, it's that positive enforcement that tells you you're in the right spot. Stick with your game plan. Cut cut the dog loose that has the nose and let him find him, you know, and, and eventually it works out. Absolutely. So. Well, that's why we have dogs and, and knock wood. But let, let's talk a little bit about water and that heat early in the season in particular. I, I cannot carry enough water. But what I've seen in other people who have, you know, are new to the chucker hunting game in particular is... Uh, by the time they get up there to the top and and actually start hunting, load their they're, guns and start hunting, they're out of water and they got to go all the way back. Yeah, that's right. How and, uh, how much and how do you carry that water? You know, and it's not water just for you. It's yeah. Water for, and so you got to have both of it. So I'll have as many as three to four uh, good sized water bottles in my vest. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, you, it, it's either a quick trip out that usually turns into a longer trip if you bump the birds and they, they don't turn out the way you want. Okay, it's the decision. Do I keep going? And what's the temp? And is there water anywhere between where you're at and where you're headed, you know, that you can utilize or the dog can utilize? Yep. And if there isn't, then, yeah, you got you got to make a judgment call there and hope that uh, because the dog will keep going and that's where it's your responsibility you know as the dog owner to make sure you've got water to keep them hydrated um so yeah it's it's a tough call you know and i can't think of easy ways you know a lot of guys have hydro packs they put on and stuff like that and uh but I, i i carry i carry a minimum 
if it's a good hike you're getting ready to go on four good sized water bottles yeah and then even then you want to hope for a stock tank or a creek that's still flowing or something like that right. I, I mean that's a lot of times the 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 key factor in how i plan a chucker hunt um yep. i'm also starting to bring with me a um you know one or another version of some sort of water purification device so that i can give the dog all the water i want and i can get some and then when we run out we might get lucky and find find some place to refill yeah that's not a bad idea quite frankly yeah uh, Another another tip I use is uh, make sure you have uh, chewing gum. Huh. Keep your mouth moist when you're hiking. What do you think the flavor would uh, preferred flavor for barley would be? <laughs> <laughs> Liver. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's here's an interesting thing I I've noticed this season that I hadn't noticed before. Check me on this because you've been out twice as often as I have. The quail are not posting sentries anymore. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> okay, so you've got the opposite. Okay, so I I'm just delirious, I yeah, I guess. But I you know, the chuckers are are even more more notorious. I think, I think they're still there, but they're not as visible. There you go. Because I was explaining that to my brother in law about looking for quail since i had an extra set of eyes in the truck i said i was going to make use of them i said keep an eye open for a sentry he says what do you mean i said well these quail you know they run in cubbies and there's 25 30 40 birds in a cubby but they usually have at least one or two birds mature birds usually males that'll post up on a rock or some other kind of structure a fence post or something and keep an eye out because of the hawks and i was pointing out hawks why i always look for hawks for both chucker and for quail and it's always a, usually a telltale sign that wherever they're at the birds are at and if the hawk is sitting still in a tree overlooking a sagebrush patch or something it's a good chance the quail are really close by and they're just tight because that guy is in that tree right there waiting for him to make a mistake and uh, he, he was just amazed that that kind of insight goes into hunting a lot of people don't realize it and uh and the same thing I explained to him, you know, there's a golden eagle in this canyon, and he cruises through these rock props up here real close, low, like a dive bomber or like a uh, top gun going screaming through these freaking rock props low and across the face. And the hawk, there's two hawks that do the same thing. And I said, yeah. when they're up, I know what's going on. They're, they know where the birds are at. I said, it's amazing. I've even fl I had uh, two quail flush this year in two separate incidents where the hawk came off the limb and chased the same bird that flushed and Bartley was after it as well at the same time. Wow. And they were feet apart. Yeah. After the same bird. Wow. And then don't brush and then the hawk would, you know, veer out of the brush. But I was like, oh my God, these quail <laughs> have got, you know, some serious problems with one of these hawks on their ass because they were so quick. I was I was amazed at how agile they were just immediate from green light right away from something flushing in the air and heading for cover low and the, and the hawk was going after it real quick and oh, you should see the cooper's hawks out behind yeah. my pigeon coop there they are about as maneuverable as as anything out there i lost a chucker to a golden eagle once in a situation like that we, we were from you know how it is when, when you don't know what it is but it's coming from behind you over your shoulder and the first thing that hits you is that shadow you're yeah. scared to death for a moment and then you see what it is and he's got your chucker and he's got his uh wings uh, they call it i think they call it a stoop when they're um when they're over the um bird the dead bird on the ground and what a malevolent look he gave us as we came over to claim the bird we never did we let him have it are <laughs> we big red tail hawk and the hawk had been on a, a dead chucker and uh, I, I found feathers. I didn't find the chucker, and I didn't see it when he flew off, but he must have had it when he took off. Uh, so we came across that this year, and then uh, I think I found one quail that had been hit by uh, a red-tailed hawk as well. You know, it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day about um, a trick they used to do down in Southern California when we hunted in Orange County uh, around Irvine Lake, had access to an area down there 
that had a lot of prickly pear and other stuff in there. And the quail loved hiding in there and eating the prickly pears. Mm. You'd kill these quail and they would have red faces from the prickly pear. Wow. It was pretty interesting to see, but they, the trick this, this guy had when I was with him, he would blow a hawk call on these quail that kept running. Yeah. And he, he would blow this hawk call. I mean, he was really good at it. And then he kept the Frisbee in his vest and he would throw the Frisbee right after the hawk call over top of these quail, the direction they ran, like it was a hawk coming over the brush and it would freeze them. It was one of the damnedest things I'd ever seen in the field. That is wild. <laughs> I don't know if I have the nerve to do that, but I love the idea. <laughs> it worked. It worked. I was amazed. I've never heard or even seen this trick until it was in Southern California when I first moved out there. Oh, yeah. that's great. What about other, uh, you know, tactical, you know, advice for somebody who's, let's just say hunting valley quail for the first time. What what else would you suggest they do? You, you were telling, you know, you've told many people over the years, here's how we do it. So tell us. Well, just like Chucker, hunt where the birds are. Yeah. Known birds. And try and make sure that you're pursuing them in an area where you can get clean shots. Mm-hmm not obstructions in your way to get clean shots and i think the big thing is having a good dog and an obedient dog one that you know you can cut loose so that you want him to bust the covey up literally that's the mission as opposed to trying to walk up on a covey that's never going to stop and let you so if you cut the dog loose i'll pull the truck over and I will, I'll put the bowl of water out. I always try to water the dog before he goes anywhere, given the option. And a lot of times he's just too enthusiastic. Yeah. He's either hurt birds and I cut him loose and I say, hunt him up, you know, and I let him go and I'll let him get out there, you know, 75, 80 yards and cast from left to right into the brush and see if he can prospect one, you know, a cubby up. And if he doesn't, then we move on. If he does, I just keep watching, and if he busts the cubby up, then the trick is calling him back and overcoming that, you know, drive yeah. and pray to stop him with a whistle and retrieve him back to the truck, water him up, vest is on, gun, here you go, lock the truck, off you go. You saw where the birds went, and the game is on. Number one go-to method. You know, and, I, I got to use that again. I We had the, that very experience yesterday. Um, and, and you know, you know, but, uh, but many people aren't looking for that little vibration under the sagebrush that says, oh, there's birds in here. So Flick was solid as a rock on, on this covey. And the covey just kept kind of bouncing around like, uh, you know, like pool balls, like you would describe playing nine ball, right. They're bouncing everywhere. So I had to go in and, and, uh, and, and just get the covey in the air by myself. Usually I can do that by simply walking in, but I had to run in this time and get them up. And even then they didn't really want to go until I made that sound. And I, I learned this from a pro guide years ago. You want to get those birds in the air, do this. Oh, so, I- and I will do that when I'm walking with the dog. Oh I, yeah, <laughs> do that, and uh, it it has definitely worked. You're right. And nine times out of ten, it's one that's flying out the back door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. So so, uh, so that kind of stuff, you know, it does come in handy. It's absolutely critical. If if you had to close, by the way, that's Andy McCormick with uh, Pointer Shotguns. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Andy, if you had to close with one more incredible hunting story, whether it was last week or five years ago, uh, uh, leave us like they say, leave us, leave us wanting more. I would say, don't <laughs> trust your gun dog because he's he's made a fool out of me. Uh, the last couple of weeks where we had busted some cubbies and we got into birds good and he went back to a spot that he had previously flushed birds out of. And I was reminding him, I'm like, Hey, they're not there. They were there. They're not there. And he wouldn't leave. And I'm not paying attention. I've got my gun down. 
and I, I'm getting a drink of water. My gun's in my left hand, not my right hand. And I'm facing the other way and I'm looking back to him. And sure enough, <laughs> two birds go back out of there. I'm like, get a liar out of me again. And it's like, trust your dog's nose. When, he, when you know he's a good dog, trust it. And just assume there's birds there. If he says they're there, they're there. <laughs> I, I, I amen to that. You're abs. I'm I'm laughing with you, not at you. Uh, I it happens so many times. There's you know it seems like every covey bird, and probably bobwhites too. Although I haven't seen it happen that often. But from huns to chuckers to um, to sharpies to uh, valley quail. There's always one, uh, they're either the smartest bird in the bunch or the dumbest bird in the bunch because they don't go when everybody else does. And if we just remember that, save one barrel for that bird, somebody yep. else somebody else will be buying the beer that night. Yeah, and the other one, reload. Yeah. Reload. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so leave us with this. Uh, you're out there as often as anybody. In your vest is all the usual stuff. Yeah. But what's in your vest that we might not have thought of? Uh, let's see. There's usually, like I said, chewing gum. <laughs> uh, usually some kind of you know, candy bar or something like that. And then there's uh, usually a dog treat. I keep at least one or two dog treats in there. If you've got a long hike back and the dog, you know, has done a phenomenal job as they usually do. Yeah. And, uh, just a little reward, you know, for the yep. guy on the back. Uh, and just plenty of water. Yeah, and a, a charged phone in case something happens, you know. And if you're in an area that uh, you have a signal, yeah, you know, thing usually you are up on ridges or stuff like that. Because I'll tell you, man, I've I've had some slippery situations. I haven't had the conditions on the ground like you have, but it doesn't take snow and ice to make a fall. You know, walking as bird hunters in Chucker Country, there's you know there's rocks everywhere. There's potential for issues and problems everywhere so you know even i i usually have a couple you know uh, things not the whole first aid kit on my back but you know a few items in there you know be it you know some super glue to heal up a cut or some band-aids or something like that or uh, simple stuff neosporin you know stuff for the dog yeah. and a sweet some tweezers you know if i know the dog gets into something he shouldn't get into that kind of thing but uh, so yeah you're thinking for yourself and the dog the same feel yeah you know it's funny i'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times whether it's water supply or first aid or anything in between we think about all the humans in the party but we forget about the dogs so thanks for bringing that up again and and, and preparing us for preparing for our dogs out there you know someday we will uh we will meet elsewhere than the las vegas venetian convention center uh, yeah. at the shot show and actually go hunting together uh we won't be able to tell our dogs apart until they get really close up but i don't mind that andy mccormick he is the man for pointer shotguns senior executive vice president of marketing and sales for legacy sports international check out their new stuff it'll all be at pointershotguns.com and oh there's some of my stuff there too so uh andy so much so much I learned from you uh, about all of this stuff. I uh, appreciate your sharing it all with everybody else. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Hey, my pleasure, Scott. Take care now. Bye-bye. See you. The rest of you, still got that Handle It dog training segment uh, coming up uh, this time. Uh, an observation, a suggestion that uh, that might benefit you and your four-footed hunting partners right after this from pointer shotguns hey maybe you got a lump of coal in your stocking for christmas or or maybe you got a wad of cash pointer shotguns in large part are always in stock you may have to look a little harder certain times but these guys are bringing in plain loads of shotguns all the time not just once or twice a year so if you have a favorite retailer that carries pointer shotguns check them out and if you're looking for a favorite retailer go to pointershotguns.com they'll steer you to one from turner outdoors to sportsman's warehouse all sorts of independent dealers out there they'll have one likely as not pointershotguns.com <coughs> Quack, quack, quack.
Yeah, that sums it up. Uh, that is a uh, kind of the, the 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 entire hunt boiled down to a few sound effects, isn't it? Well, um, this week in the handle it segment, uh, starting at the you know at the training stage, uh, I'm kind of a Boy Scout from way back, and uh, I uh, enjoy the heck out of being prepared and uh, making that. Uh, you know, part of the whole experience because then you can start your trip three weeks early by loading stuff into the truck. But anyway, when it comes to the dog, I wait until my dog is prepared to follow my direction. Not only that, I wait to make sure that he can follow that direction without literal and figurative obstructions. So let me give you one example. Flick is 100 yards away, and that's a whistle command for me. Um, But I'm not going to call him to me until I know that there's nothing distracting between him and me. It could be a clump of trees. It could be a massive brush pile. It could be other people, other dogs, some sort of noise. I want him to be able to come to me without obstruction. That way he won't lose track of the original command and his destination. Right to me. You know, the same holds true for retrieve. So, you know, think about your dog. He thinks in a linear manner, straight line. It's the shortest distance between two points, and you want him to do that whenever possible. So make it easy for him. Give him the command when the route is obvious and clear. Think about all the distractions that might get in the way literally or figuratively yeah make it easy on the dog and everybody's happy at the end of the hunt or the training session i am so grateful for all of your comments at social platforms i can't share them all here but i can share them all at the facebook instagram and twitter pages so go there and learn from everybody else And I am learning every week from your kind comments and reviews how to do a better job of the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you for your feedback. We're all made possible by Sage and Breaker gun care products, pointer shotguns, mid-valley clays, and true lock chokes in the website findbirdhuntingspots.com. Thank you so much, Andy McCormick of Pointer Shotguns, for being a part of the Upland Nation. And thank you all for listening. I'm Scott Linden. See you in the field. <laughs>